You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back. A Wednesday Locked On Syracuse podcast here with you every single weekday, wherever you get your podcast. Feel free to take some time, help us grow the show, rate, review, subscribe, comment, anything. We Tell appreciate a friend. your That's my interaction. Favorite. Yes. Tell a friend. Just word of mouth. We, we put appreciate it in the text you guys chain. if you like. Take a link, put it in the text chain. I know everyone out <laughs> right. there listening to this show has some sort of text chain with their fellow Syracuse fans. Throw it in the text chain for us. How about that, huh? Yeah, and I would imagine that text chain has been pretty active lately. Oh, uh, Maybe yeah. during that Liberty game and everything. But we got good news for the Syracuse fans out there today. We're talking basketball. And I got to say, Ty... I'm starting to come around on this basketball team a little bit. And now maybe subconsciously I'm just doing that because they are the light at the end of the tunnel of sorts right now. And I know how dire football looks and it's been tough to talk about football at times on this podcast. So maybe I will admit that is contributing a little bit, but the more I look into the numbers and that's what we're going to do on today's show is really dive into some of these numbers and sort of just look at the immediate future of this team. I think tomorrow on the show we'll look more at what the waiver and the blanket waiver that came down last week for college basketball, and even talk some about football on tomorrow's show and what the waiver could impact on the whole Syracuse athletic side of things going forward, recruiting as well. So that'll be tomorrow's show. But today, it's immediate future. It's this upcoming season. And I got to say, I think Syracuse could be kind of sneaky good this year. So to go off of your your basketball to football comparison there, it can't be yeah. worse, right? It literally has never been worse <laughs> under the, the Jim Beheim era. He's never gone under 500. So that is something that can definitely be a light at the end of the tunnel for you if you're an Orange basketball fan. And looking ahead, it cannot be worse than the football team, at least by recent Jim Beheim standards and even though the schedule might be a little unorthodox this year, who knows? Maybe we see fewer non-conference games. Again, all that stuff's getting shaken out right now, but it's looking like everything's going to go full steams ahead right now, and I don't anticipate that changing, especially since we're only about a month, month and a half away yeah. at this point. It is really around the corner, and we're starting to get excited for it here, but yes, it cannot get worse right now, and I think that's one thing that... If you're if you've been suffering through, if you've been watching these football games, yikes! I mean, it, there's something to look forward to. By the way, did you see there have been uh there? I saw this on the Sports Illustrated. It was written by I believe his name is Jacob Payne, but it was on the Syracuse Sports Illustrated site, and he's he detailed all the former Orange players who were tweeting out some some angry thoughts from over the weekend of oh, the Liberty wow, game. Oh wow, I didn't see this. Ugh, I bet that was good. Yeah, state of the program. That's all I'm gonna say. State of the yeah. program. I did see on a separate, more positive note, Mike McAllister went and chatted with all the 2021 recruits, maybe not every single one of them, but a good chunk of them. And every single one of them wrote back, well, I guess sort of predictably, that they are obviously still 100% committed and looking forward to it. I guess if you weren't, then you probably just wouldn't respond to Mike McAllister. But it seemed like he got responses from, if not everyone, pretty much everyone. So yeah, I feel like on I like that front, that. too... Also, I tried to read that article, and it just would not open for me. I don't know what's up with oh, that. Really? So I tried to read it because I saw it at the, the bottom of the page after I read the other article I was talking about. But I, I very rarely think that 
the the state of the team and the team's performance impacts guys who have already committed because the commitment process is mostly relationship based. So yeah, that's a good point for sure. All right, so basketball wise, let's start with the offense here. Some stats, and we did. We should mention that Matthew Gutierrez over at the Athletic. A lot of these stats will come from his article, and we love Goody. We had him on the show last week. If Dude, is Goody going to be too big for us now? That's what I'm oh, wondering. He, is he, on gonna, he was on Durham, Packer and right? Durham last yeah. week. I'm wondering if he's coming back on with us. I think he might be too yeah. big for us right now. I, I don't know. I mean, we, we still have keep, the text um, chain, but. Right, um, we got to keep feeding him some Syracuse scoops points. To yeah, get his, I know. I was just know, about to say, butter him up a little bit with graces, the points. Right. That might be the only way we do it. Yeah, I think. Yeah, well, we gave him kind of a generous one yesterday. So anyway, <laughs> we uh, we start with offense, and I think you know that's where a lot of optimism is around this team. You lose Elijah Hughes, who obviously you know if you listen to this podcast, you know how valuable Elijah Hughes was last year. But I think there's a growing sense of optimism and a growing sense of belief that Alan Griffin has exceeded expectations so far amongst the coaching staff, and he looks really good, kind of like what we were hearing at first when Elijah Hughes made the transfer move. Now, the difference is Griffin is going to play right away, and that's a huge thing that Syracuse has. If you don't know this by now, I think Griffin is basically a lock to be in the starting lineup, and that is coming from someone who is pretty high on Quincy Garrier and thinks that he could play some significant minutes for them, considering that he should be more healthy this season. But offensively, they're going to be able to shoot the basketball. My question mark is, can they get to the rim? And how much can Joe Girard take a step up isolation-wise for them? Because they're going to need Girard to be kind of the Elijah Hughes of last year's team and do what he did in those big games where Hughes was out, but do it more efficiently and limit the turnovers as well, which is logical that in his second year, he should improve in both those categories. And one of the big numbers that Goody points out in this article is the Gerard assist to turnover ratio, 1.88, 101st in the country. So you hear the number 101st, and it's not great, but that's also not bad either. Because remember, that encapsulates every single player in the entire country. And I think it probably takes some of the outliers out, the the walk-ons who maybe came in and had five assists and, and one turnover in their 12 minutes of action all, all season long. Yeah. But the 1.88, I think, also is a little deceiving of what his production was from a season ago. And I mean that sort of in a bad way, but I'm also kind of encouraged for it to improve. And here's why. We saw Joe Girard heave up a number of very bad shots last season. Just tough, contested, sometimes even early in the shot clock, bad shots. And I think that's one of the simple things to fix, especially with him, too, because this is going to go one of two ways. Either he's going to fix it and just stop forcing up a number of those shots, or he's just going to get better, and some of those bad shots are going to turn into makes. So those bad shots, I think, qualify as turnovers, but they don't go down in the stat book as a turnover. So that 1.88 is probably a little bit lower if from the eye test perspective there. And that's what I'm excited to see with him is the step that he makes. Because I think of everyone on this team, you're going to see him take the biggest step year to year. And that's encouraging, especially because that backcourt, man, that's a lot of firepower in it. You've got two guys that are going to be all ACC caliber players for you. If not this year, then definitely the year after that. Because guess what? Buddy's getting that, that extra year of eligibility. And I... 
I'd be very shocked if he didn't use it too. So same. I'm I'm very excited to see what this backcourt can do because guess what? It can be one of, if not the best, in the ACC if the necessary steps are being taken by both of those guys. Hey, do you guys ever feel like it's just go, go, go these days and you're always on the move, nonstop hustle and bustle, always an expectation for you to be on 24-7? Well, you need some time to reset and chill. And when you do that, there is only one beer out there that's literally made to chill. And that's Coors Light, my favorite beer. One of my favorite beers forever. I've been drinking Coors Light for a while now. It's great on the golf course. It's great for just chilling and watching games like we all love to do on Saturdays and Sunday. Crack it open when you're watching a football game. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door. It can come right to your door right now. Just put in your zip code and it'll go right to your door on a Saturday for football. Go to get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Gotta tell you about the best protein bar on the market. That, of course, is Built Bar. With new flavors seemingly coming out all the time, including one of my new favorites is the caramel brownie and the cookies and cream, both of which I recently got through Built Bar. They are awesome. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate. They're soft and easy to choose. And the best part of all of this is that even though it tastes like a candy bar, they are healthy for you. They're perfect if you're trying to maintain weight, lose weight, whatever. Built Bar is the way to go. Just take the peanut butter brownie for a second here. 19 grams of protein, only 180 calories, only 5 grams of sugar, and only 5 grams of net carbs. That's what you're getting with Built Bar. You're getting a delicious reward for your workout while also making a super healthy choice as well. And right now, Built Bar, a new offer for you here for fans of the Locked On Syracuse podcast and the rest of the Locked On Podcast Network. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, and you will get 20% off your next order. BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, all one word, and you will get 20% off your next order. So Gerard last year, in isolation, ranked 28th percentile in terms of isolation scoring in the entire country. The guy you lose, Elijah Hughes, was great in isolation. He was 70th percentile in that category. So that's the kind of case for Syracuse because obviously this offense is very isolation-based. There's isolation and then there's, you know, the wings running off pin downs and trying to yeah. get free spot ups. And I, ball I saw this stat. Yeah. I had no idea. But Syracuse, according to Synergy Sports, number one in the country in spot-up shooting in terms of the number of plays that they ran for spot-up shots. Oh, no, that, so. that's the reverse, though. That's for um, against the 2-3 zone. So Was that, did I read that think, wrong, then? Yeah, but it, it probably is still very high because they shot a ton from beyond the arc last year. I don't have that in front of me if it's offensively based, but still, we tweeted out that uh, yesterday what it is like from the zone perspective at our Twitter page, at LO underscore Syracuse. So the isolation, Gerard was not great in it last year, but let's keep in mind, he was a freshman, and that's you have to keep that in mind with everything. Like He had a good freshman season. He was streaky, yes, but I believe he can lead this team in scoring. I believe in him, and I believe he's an all-ACC type player this year, and the isolation will get better this year just based on the fact that 
He's now a sophomore, and he's had a year where he's played against ACC-level competition. I mean, right away, it was tough for him to score last year because he went from low-level high school competition compared to what some of these other Division One basketball players are playing. You know, he's playing against you and me, basically, or a little right. bit better than you and me, and then he goes to the ACC. So now he's got an ACC season. I think he'll be better in isolation. And I'm looking through right now. Uh, I was correct also that they were first in the country in offensive possessions that resulted in spot-up oh, wow. jump shots. Okay. So first <laughs> in the funny. country for synergy sports. Anyway, back to your Gerard point. I do think that he's a guy who can lead the, the country in – or not – sorry. Can't lead the country in scoring, but can lead the team in scoring. And here's why is because he feels like the alpha on this team. Do you agree with that assessment? Because yeah, I agree. Even He's though the leader. Buddy Beheim might be a little bit better than him, it felt and like we saw that when Hughes went down. Right, he was he the wasn't alpha. the alpha. Yeah. He wasn't the one that necessarily rose to the occasion. He crumbled a little bit under that sort of pressure. Whereas Gerard, for better or worse, the confidence just shot through the roof, and that's something that I'm really looking forward to seeing with him. How that continues to develop, because sometimes that confidence leads you to shooting twenty percent. But sometimes it leads you to shooting 50% too. And that's the thing with him is he always had that alpha mentality. And that's nothing. That's not a knock on Buddy. You don't have to be the alpha. I mean, every Batman needs their Robin. And if that's what the Joe Girard-Buddy Bayheim relationship can be, that's going to be really fun to watch because Buddy Bayheim's a hell of a Robin. And that's what I'm looking forward to with this backcourt. And... Joe Girard just felt like he the moment was never too big for him. It was almost like Dion Waiters-esque, especially you see, what, what's the quote he has now? It's, I'd, I'd hate to go 0 for 9 or something. I'd rather go 0 for 30 than 0 for 9 because if I went 0 for 9, it means I lost confidence in myself. <laughs> Joe Girard isn't yeah. going to lose confidence in himself. He's going to keep doing what he can to get the ball for in the For better basket. and for worse. Yes, exactly. Honestly. And I yeah. think, again, as you get older and older, that becomes for better more so than it does for worse. Right. And the team needs someone that has that edge to them. And I think bringing in a guy like Alan Griffin, that's everything I hear about him too, is he's going to be that type of leader, that type of sort of, you know, vocal guy in the huddle and everything like that. So I'm excited offensively. I mean, they were 21st in the country, according to Ken Palm on offensive efficiency last year. So one of their best numbers. Right. And, and that's, that's where I think, yes, it will take maybe a step down, a little bit out of the gate without Elijah Hughes, but you bring back everyone else and you add Alan Griffin and you add Kadari Richmond and you add Frank Anselm too. And whoever else cracks the rotation kind of in the second half there, more minutes for a guy like Quincy Garrier. So the key thing for them offensively, they got to get to the rim more because last year they ranked 351st in shot attempts at the rim. Now there's 353 teams in all of college basketball division one. So we're talking about one of the worst marks in the country. We know they don't go to post-up plays very often, and no one really does anymore post-up, like back-to-the-basket stuff. But to a degree, it'd be nice to see them get those numbers up a little bit and just get a competent Sidibe in the middle, kind of like what we saw at the end of the season last year. If he can stay healthy, if he can be producing where he's a threat when he comes off those pick-and-rolls that we know they love to run— then you get more shots at the rim, and it's not relying on the jump shots, which, honestly, like, jump shots, when the pressure ratchets up, you're going to miss more jump shots than you are at the rim. you got to stay aggressive and attack. Let me push back on you a little bit there, 
Because okay. love this. He, here's why I, I kind of disagree with that. That they need more of a competent download. Like, look at the personnel on this team. All right. You've got three uber talented shooters on your roster. Great coaches cater game plans to their personnel. They don't coach their vision. They coach what they have in front of them. And that's what Jim Beheim sees he has in front of him. He's got three, and it's going to translate again this year. Last year, he had three great shooters. Again, this year, he's going to have three great shooters. So I'm yep. cool with that. You don't need a back-to-the-basket guy. Sadibe wasn't brought in here to be an offensive burner, and guess what? He certainly hasn't surprised anyone in that department and made some late-blooming addition to his game. He's not going to beat you. You're not going to win with the Syracuse team by trying to feed the post. So that's that's why I think when you look at this team, play to your strengths. Why would you try to force a weakness to be a part of your offense when you've got these strengths, you've got these three great shooters on your team. I'm cool with this team being like a Houston Rockets or a Golden State Warriors who realizes the the analytics of basketball, that the three is worth more than the two. Sure. Listen, Joe, Joe and, and Buddy, and I'm sure we'll see it with Allen, they can get their shot wherever, wherever on the floor. Two point, get in that lane, do a little floater, whatever. But Sidibe has never shown you that and I don't think he will. I, I, there's very little confidence in me that suggests that that's going to happen. Now, if Frank Anselm proves that his offensive game is a little bit sharper than his predecessors at the center position, then okay, change your game plan a little bit that maybe features a little more back-to-the-basket stuff. But yeah, with the personnel that Syracuse has, I think they would be doing a real disservice to try to change the, the tempo of, of what they try to do offensively because... I, I just don't think that they need to focally involve this the big man game as a part of their offense. I don't want them to focally involve. I just want it to go from what was the least involved front court in the country offensively, basically in the country per statistics, to, okay, maybe like middle of the pack to middle back half in the ACC. Because then if you have some more balance offensively and these guys are somewhat of a threat down low, that opens up those great shooters, and that creates more opportunities for them to get open on the wings. Those guys, Beheim, Griffin, Gerard. Yeah, it definitely Obviously, does. I still, but I, I just think if if Anselm is not some sort of guy who's going to give you a ton of offensive production, again, I don't know what he's going to bring offensively to the table here. He might be great on offense. We don't know. We haven't yeah. seen him in the gym yet. So, but if he's not. I'm cool with that number being at what it was from a season ago because that's not going to win you ball games by trying to force bad offensive players into playing offensive basketball. I also don't think it's just a front court thing. I want to see Gerard, Beheim, and Griffin make sure that they're driving as well because, yes, the Houston Rockets are very successful, but let's face it, like when we've seen in basketball across all levels, when it gets to crunch time, and it's a game seven type situation. The Rockets have missed a lot of threes and their system has kind of failed them to an extent because that comes down to a ton of feel. Driving, getting to the free throw line is more sustainable and more high percentage looks. Like that's just kind of the nature yeah. of it. But so, a lot of the, these numbers are are focused on strictly post-up plays too. Like the, the 2.9% I don't care percent about post-up. Yeah, the 2.9% yeah. of Syracuse possessions last year being post-ups, which is second to worst in the country. Like, right. I, yeah. That that's kind of what I'm saying right here. 
Okay, yeah. So I'm on the same page with you there. I just want Gerard to attack the basket. Beheim to attack the basket. Yeah, like I mean, we saw. those guys are. I mean, Gerard. Did he end up shooting 90% last year? I don't remember the exact number. That yeah, had, right around but, that. And Buddy's Lefella, a phenomenal yeah. free throw shooter. So those are guys that you want going to the line for you in in, in throughout the the game, and especially in big situations too. Yeah, I it doesn't. I don't really care about how many post up plays. That's kind of a dying art. But the three fifty one number out of three fifty three on shot attempts at the rim, considering Quincy's going to be more involved this year, I want to see that number be a little bit more like middle of the pack in the country. And I think that would favor them if they had some more balance to the offense. Let's get into defense now. A lot of interesting numbers on the zone, and this is obviously kind of like the real question mark going into next year, which I think is why I'm starting to believe that this team could be sneaky good is because defense is the question mark, and normally that's not the question mark. For all those people out there that say the 2-3 zone is dying and and it's got to change and Bayheim is so stuck in his ways and that whole crowd... The defense still traditionally has been the better unit, statistically speaking. And they really, with the exception of last year, have done a great job defending the three-point arc. So I have more confidence that they will fall back into that and go back to their true identity defensively now that they have these guys that were at the top of the zone last year that struggled in Bayheim and Girard. And you've got just more guys coming back, more experience in that 2-3 zone now. That's been a key ever since Jim Beheim has taken over and implemented this 2-3 zone consistently, is how much experience is back there. So now that you bring back basically all of your roster except for Elijah Hughes, I feel like the 2-3 zone has to improve a little bit from last year, and it's just getting back to what they normally are, which is a good defensive team. That's what they've been with the 2-3 zone. I guess the one reason for pause about why this zone can can improve, especially at the top, is think about what's something you cannot change about Joe Girard. It's his height. You can't change it. Yeah, and he's 6'1". <laughs> we, we've seen that be a problem in the past, whether it's John Gillen or, or some of these smaller guards. We, we've seen when you've got the long guards up at the top, the Trevor Cooney's, the Michael Carter-Williams, those guys, the the Michael Benajes, those are guys that they can get away with a lot of things at the top because their length is so disruptive. And I think Frank Howard too, all those guys have made a, a real imprint at the top. And that's why year after year, they're among the leaders in steals, not just in the ACC, but in the entire country. So in the big East as well. So I, that's why I'm a little bit hesitant there to say they can take the biggest of steps, but familiarity again, if you, if you've got this thing, in your in your mind like if you know it like the back of your hand you can make sure you're not in these tough positions like Frank Howard could maybe get away with some little lapses here and there because his length's going to make up for it at the end of the day and sure. he can put, get a hand on a pass or something like that but Joe doesn't have that luxury Joe has to be mentally one of the smartest guys out there on the floor and that's something that I definitely think he can get to too now I mean, we saw Frank Howard. He really pieced it together defensively. He had it in the mind, and he had it physically, too. And that's why he was so successful at the top. Um, but I'm more concerned, really, about the the bottom of the zone, specifically the help defense. And, I think and... I'm more concerned about the top, so this will be really? good. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, lay out your case. Well, so when you look at the bottom, opponent's field goal percentage at the rim, 66%, 338th yeah. in the country. That's a glaring number to me, especially when you face some teams in the ACC. I mean, think about teams like UNC 
always has a really good big man. You want to go with Florida State, they are always a huge team. And yeah, Duke's going to be big. Duke's going to be big. I mean, Virginia usually has one or two big bodies that can really make you pay down low. So when that comes into the dome or you face them on the road, that's what's troubling to me because it's not just Brahma. It's also the help side defense, too, that I thought really struggled. Yeah. I mean, Quincy Garrier, he was a freshman, but he was atrocious. <laughs> got to be better. Like, yeah. he, he's got to be totally. better. Um, Mar- I mean, again, they're a little undersized, too. We're used to this team being like one or two, really, in terms of height in the country. And that might, I think last year they were 11th, I want to say, which is still among the best of the best. But. I, I'm I'm really intrigued to see how the the center position is going to be this year because I think we we really underestimated how big of an impact Pascal Chukwu made at that five position at the anchor yeah. of the zone because seven three you can't teach height you can't teach length and he had totally. a lot of it and that that was really disruptive I think and a big reason why that those Syracuse teams when Chukwu was there was were so defensive oriented and so defensively effective. So I actually I mean, let me clarify. I agree with you. I'm more concerned about the type of personnel we have back there in the zone as opposed to the personnel at the top of the zone. But when you really crunch the numbers here, as you mentioned, 66% was the field goal percentage from opponents at the rim, 338th in the country. The two years before that, one of those years, you have Pascal Chukwu. They're inside the top 50 both years, and it was right around 55% opponent field goal percentage at the rim. The good news, though, is that the zone does not allow the opponent to get to the rim very often. Just 23.6% of shots last year from the opponent was at the rim against Syracuse. That's the fifth best mark in terms of limiting shots at the rim in the entire country. My concern and why I think a lot of this conversation going into the season is going to be about the center play. And the zone, you have to be better down low because that's what shredded us last year. I totally agree. It's still a concern for sure. I mean, but both I sides are also, concerns. Yeah I'm, I, yeah, I'm with you. The the top's a concern. The bottom is a right. concern. But if I'm going to place where I've got my, my larger qualms, it's at the bottom right now. And maybe okay, that changes. So- I would say the personnel is worse at the bottom, but the volume of shots that we allow, and when you factor that in, because 47% of opponent shots last year were three-point shots against us. That's a staggeringly high number, and now obviously that's going to continue to grow as modern basketball shifts more to jump shots, but when you crunch those synergy numbers that we tweeted out yesterday, a lot of these shots are spot-ups and cuts, and then everything else, isolation, pick-and-roll, the zone does a good job of preventing opponents from getting in, inside, basically. So my concern, and I think why the defense broke more than we're accustomed to seeing last year, is because teams realized, okay, the top of the zone is way more vulnerable than normal, and we're just going to shoot right over that top of the zone. Joe Girard, 6'1", they're inexperienced at the top. Buddy's not as quick as a Frank Howard or a Tyus Battle was. We're going to shoot over them, and that's really where... The numbers concern me because 47% of the shots came from that last year. At the rim last year, we were limiting teams from getting to the rim. Well, so, well let me let the, me push back a little bit there, too. Yeah, all right, and, and let me bring up another number for you. Barama Sidibe's fouls per 40 minutes, almost seven. Yeah, not the good. Highest in the <laughs> ACC. So think about that, okay? And, and again, I know you only get five fouls per game, but who are the two biggest fouls on this team last year? Sidibe Dolichai. Yep. 
So, oh, Gary, Gary, probably actually. Okay, but well, he played less. Either way, I, I would say it's Sidibe and Dolajai. Where are they going to commit the majority of their fouls? Right around the rim. So you're taking away what probably four or five shots a game from that number because those numbers don't go into what's being calculated here. So when you're taking those away from the equation in terms of the, the volume of shots that come from inside, I think that's important to bring up as well. Yeah, and I would say to that, you have Frank Anselm this year. And maybe and it's hopefully Jesse that's Edwards. better. I mean, yes. Right, whoever you it is. You've got to hope the foul troubles don't, they're not contagious in that center position. Yeah, I don't think we're going to run into as much of a problem this year as we did. Remember the Clemson game last year where Sidibe fouls out, Dolajai fouls out, and then Jesse Edwards is out there, and he's like dribbling the ball off his foot in crunch time, and it's it was yeah. a disaster, right? It, now you're dropping off to maybe it is still Jesse Edwards, but he's a year older, and if not, I think most would tell you right now that the backup center, based on camp, is looking like Frank Anselm, and there's reason to be optimistic. Now, it's still an unknown, but I feel better about the depth situation in the front court. So that'd be sort of the counter to the foul trouble issues. It's still going to be a concern. I still want to see Sidibe get his fouls down, and you hope as a senior it'll be less of a problem. But I don't know. I just think the top of the zone is not going to be at the forefront. Like Everyone's going to talk about the back of the zone defensively. And based on the volume of shots that teams put up against Syracuse last year, the top of the zone was actually more costly. And I just want to see that improve. Because if that improves, I feel like this defense could still get away with having sort of a like bad personnel down low. Because that's what they were two years ago. They weren't that great down low. And they still had opponent field goal percentage at the rim 42nd in the country two years ago. So... That tells me that I'm a little bit more optimistic that maybe last year was just an outlier in terms of opponent field goal percentage at the rim. But also, I mean, it's the same personnel, and it's still a concern. I get all that. I just I think we should really focus on the top of the zone as well because that has to improve. And here's what I'll say too, all right? I'm not asking for this team to get back to what it was in 2019, 2018, in some of those runs. They don't have to, all right? I'm kind of just asking for average here. Because yeah. you can't you can't just be in the back end, not just of the conference, but the of the entire country. You, I'm just kind of asking for average here. I, I almost liken it to the Kansas City Chiefs. Like you've got a dynamic offense. Patrick Mahomes can move that ball, get you up and down the field all you want. And I know a lot of Bills fans might be listening to this right now and thinking, ugh, and thinking about that <laughs> Monday night or Monday afternoon game, really, that they played from the other right. day. But the defense on Kansas City is unspectacular, okay? They make some plays for you here or there, but they're average. They're not They're not going to wow you. Sure, they've got some great players on it, but they're average at the end of the day. And average, when coupled with the firepower of the offense, is good enough to win you a Super Bowl. So I'm not saying that Syracuse is going to go out wow the nation and, and win the national championship or get to the Final Four, Elite Eight, whatever. But all I'm saying is, if you're average defensively, Coupled with this offense playing as well as it did last year, especially in terms of the efficiency numbers, and given the steps that you're expecting a lot of these players to take, average is going to cut it defensively for this team to be good and in the top five or six teams in the ACC. Yeah, that's why I think they could surprise some people in the ACC, because if the question is, can Jim Beheim and his expertise and his coaching style create an average defense and get the defense to average, 
that to me is a much more promising question for the outlook of the season to be asking than can Jim Beheim get a below average personnel on offense to be average offensively? Because yes. we've seen where that has not panned out very well at all. And I mean, let's be honest, the offensive style that Syracuse runs, it's there's nothing special to it. It's yeah, a lot it's of already, isolation. It's pick and roll. It's unesthetically it, yeah. pleasing. Right. Yeah. Right. It's not like Beheim. I think even Beheim himself would tell you that he's not an offensive mind. Like, not, you know, up there with some of the best. Now, I don't think he would tell you he's bad at it, obviously, because he's, he's been around the game for 45 years, at least at Syracuse, and longer than that, really. But as the head coach, this is his 45th year. So I'm more confident that this team can surprise people because I think Beheim can maximize talent on defense, and he's proven that over the course of his career. Yeah, I mean, 45 years in this game, you, you, you learn a lot. I mean, what, the Athletic just did their 40 under 40? Beheim's been a head coach at the same institution <laughs> yeah. for longer than all of those guys on that list have right. been alive, and there are some prolific minds on that list. Yep. No doubt. All right, well, that's going to wrap up today's show. Thanks for listening. As always, we'll be gearing you guys up for basketball season, talking more basketball. Feel free to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, you can get every single one of our episodes right to your preferred podcast feed in the morning, right when they come out every single weekday. But for Tyler, I'm Tim. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.